Hello and welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Ayan Sharwa. It's been more than 40 years since Australia recognised equal pay for equal work. But in industries typically associated with women's work, such as early childhood education, women may be paid as little as $21 an hour. Today on Accent of Women, we analyse the leading causes of gender inequality in the Australian workplace. We also look at why female-dominated sectors are underpaid. We speak to Kara Keyes, the Australian Council of Trade Unions Campaign Director, and Akut, who is a Melbourne-based early childhood educator. But first up, Kara Keyes. Um, sure. Uh, look, I think the um, women's participation in the workforce has changed uh, dramatically, dramatically, um, particularly over maybe the last two decades or so. Um, certainly um, women's participation has been exponentially um, inclining uh, uh, in the workforce, um, you know, since the 1980s. And um, it's a really pertinent question, I think, to what we're going to talk about today because, um, you know, the the modern workforce is, is very different um, to what it used to be and, and largely, um, I argue at least, um, is that um, the workplace laws which, um, which govern um, the workforce really are stuck back in that kind of harvester man era, mm. you know, when the harvester decision came out and it was about um, a basic wage where a man could live and maintain his wife and a right. couple of children and, and you know the the assumption was that the woman was going to be at home and and I you know the our industrial system is really just still stuck back in that mentality that the man mm. is the main breadwinner in the house and uh, and that you know women's work is sort of the supplementary work rather than actually women being full participants in the workforce. Mm. Why do you think we're not progressing? Why are we still having these same conversations about gender inequality in the workplace? Look, it's it's a it's a great question and and I think you know um, the answer is it is probably going to be. Um, from how you see, from how you see it, um, I personally think that we're still, you know, having the same conversation because um, women's work is notoriously still undervalued and segregated. Mm. Um, that's why we're still having the conversation. Um, you know, like the statistics on paper are that women are 50% of the population. They're 50% of the workforce now. Women that are just like you and I, mm. are the majority of the union movement. So our issues aren't minority issues. We're not a minority in the workplace. We're not a minority in the population. Um, so so exactly why are we still having this conversation? And it's, it really does come down um, to to that, that, that kind of sole concept that, that women are still undervalued. Yeah, and if we could perhaps um, get into that, why are... Um, industries where women dominate these industries, why are they still being notoriously underpaid? Um, because they're notoriously undervalued. Um, Take us there. Well, you know, the the industries where we see um, highly feminised industries, you look at childcare, for example, highly feminised uh, industry and um, by and large considered to be women's work. 
and therefore that work is undervalued. Um, you know, we still have a situation in this country where, you know, women are picking up a lot of the unpaid caring work. You know, we used to talk about the work-life balance. It's more of a work-life collision now. It's that sort of sandwich generation where a lot of working women find themselves. They're caring for young children, they're parenting, but they've also got ageing parents or, you know, sick or disabled um, uh, elderly parents that they need to look after and they're just kind of colliding. Mm. Uh, and they're doing picking up a lot of that... Um, unpaid work, which largely means they're falling into part-time work or other forms of insecure work, so highly casualised labour. Women make up the majority of highly exploited and, and, and you know, um, insecure types of work. Women are the majority of the people on the minimum wage as well. Um, and really all of that sort of, it's compounding, right, and that's where you get things like the gender pay gap from. Mm. You've got entire industries that are feminised that are, entirely undervalued Mm. Um, and then you've got the compounding issues of the work-life collision, insecure work, women are more likely to experience violence and fall into insecure work or out of the workforce because they're more likely to experience family and domestic violence Mm. Um, and then really um, one of the most things that that I'm really passionate about is all of these compounding factors across a woman's working life means that most Australian women expect to retire in poverty. Mm. The superannuation gap in this country is 47%. Jeez. So it's stark. It is stark, absolutely, mm. absolutely stark. And I think that it's quite horrifying and upsetting um, that working women um, expect to not be able to um, afford a decent and comfortable retirement. What are some job security measures that could perhaps change this situation? Mm. Um, There's a raft of things that need to be done. Mm. And they are, and and I guess you're right, we've listed it. And the way that I like to see it is that, the the reality is, is that these are structural issues, right? They're not individualised. It's not just a woman making a choice to have a child and therefore she should expect to Mm. not be paid the same or to get demoted when she comes back from work and then not have a secure retirement. These are structural choices and those choices can be changed and they can be changed at a policy level and that's why um, governments are so important Mm. in terms of, um, you know, making the right decisions and us campaigning to get them to make the right right decisions. you know how do you, how can you close um, how can you close the gender pay gap, mm. right? How can you make um, work more secure? Well, stop employers um, only using casualised labour. You know, stop employers forcing people into labour hire mm. and into sham contracting. Um, you know, bring back a system of bargaining where you can bargain collectively at the point of power. Mm-hmm. where you can bargain across an industry, say like the entire early childhood industry or across the entire NDIS industry, where we are seeing people falling, you know, they're not keeping up with the living wage in those industries and they're in, you know, in, in highly insecure forms of work. And that can be addressed by working together, mm-hmm. by collectively being able to get together across an entire industry and bargain and campaign for decent wages and conditions. Mm-hmm. Because I'm in the support work industry Mm. and I've had friends tell me that they're too afraid to speak up because they'll be the only one there, like taking it on and and being that voice. And everyone's afraid to take the first step because they're afraid to lose their job. Mm. Um, How do we 
convince people um, uh, about the benefits of collective bargaining? Um, I think the first, you know, the first step in that is asking people to join their union. That's what unions do. You know, unions are there to kind of, you know, grease the wheels of collectivism in some respects, like, um, you know, able to have conversations with people about the value of collectivism. And if you're a union member, then ask other people to join the union and say, this is what the union is about, is about us working collectively together. Um, And there's power in that. And I think that is really, you know, uh, such a common thing, you know, people being really afraid to to, think that they're the only one. Mm. And often, um, you know, um, getting people to realise that they're not the only one starts with a conversation and it definitely starts with a conversation about unionism as well. Employees can now take unpaid leave to deal with family and domestic violence. Mm. How is this a win for gender equality? Um, Or is it a win? Is it a win? Mm. Um, Let's unpack that. Let's unpack that. Um, It was actually the trade union movement who have been campaigning for decades um, uh, uh, to secure paid family and domestic violence leave um, for working for working people but we know that women experience violence um, more than men um, and our firm claim is that paid leave is necessary um, a lot of the things that people experiencing violence need to do to make themselves and often their children safe have to be done during business hours, um, you know, attending courts or the police um, or um, going and securing a new rental property, um, going and, you know, securing a new school and all the bits and pieces. Um, those things generally have to be done in business hours, um, mm. you know, um, and that's why we think it's so vitally important to have paid leave. Um, what would paid leave for women so what what it what it means is that women aren't choosing between their economic independence and their safety basically um, you know if you if you couldn't if you can't if you can't take paid leave to to deal with this to make yourself um, and and often your children safe um, then what we have seen and this is straight from frontline workers is that um, women women fall out of work um, or they f- they are forced into highly insecure forms of work, into casualised work, um, you know, exploitative kind of labour practices that, that we see across the economy. And, and that really shouldn't be a choice that any worker should have to make. They shouldn't have to choose between their safety or their economic independence, and that's mm. what paid leave does. It allows someone who is experiencing violence to confidently progress knowing that they have job security and they're mm. going to continue to have that economic independence, which is so vital mm. to anyone who is experiencing vi- um, bi- violence. Being able to have economic security um, to leave that relationship is absolutely vital. Um, now, is unpaid leave a win? Mm. Um, it's a, it's a, it is a new entitlement. It is a new entitlement that the Commission has come up with and it already now applies to 2.4 million award dependent workers it it started on the 5th of August this year Um, and it's interesting because when we ran that case in the Commission they agreed that that it was that family violence is a workplace issue Um, and and they um, to 
to a large extent, agreed that paid leave was necessary. In fact, when they made the decision about unpaid leave, um, they said they would review it. They would review that decision with a mind to um, making it paid leave in the future. Um, so, look, it is a new entitlement. Um, it's it's not the best, you know. Um, but if if it if workers can access unpaid leave and it assists them to um, leave a violent situation or make themselves safe, then you can't say it's a complete. Mm. Um, you, you can't really argue against it. Um, but you know what we what we suggest is that we really do need at a minimum um, 10 days paid leave mm. for all working people. And you know the arguments against it is that it costs too much or that people will take advantage of it. I mean, that's just a nonsense. Mm. There's millions of workers who have paid a range of different paid um, family and domestic violence leave uh, entitlements across the country through their bargaining, you know, through their workplace bargaining, um, and the sky hasn't fallen in. Mm. Um, so to make it available to award-reliant um, uh, uh, workers is, is, is important, you know, and, um, and, and to make it available across the workforce um, is is really vital, mm. and we'll st- we'll keep fighting for that. Mm. Mm. And just sticking to the um, family and domestic family and domestic violence leave, um, it's benef- it's beneficial to the recipients of not recipients, but those affected by the violence. Mm. But people don't understand that it's also beneficial to the to everybody in the workplace. Yeah. And can you touch on that? Why everybody benefits from this? Um, well, you know, um, I think it, this really needs to be from a from a workplace perspective. Um, any gendered violence, whether that's happening in the workplace or outside of the workplace, or the perpetrator of that violence is coming to the workplace, um, though that really needs to be viewed through the prism of um, occupational health and safety for everyone. Um, any sort of gendered violence in the workplace. Um, really um, it is an occupational health and safety issue. Um, so making sure that everyone is safe in the workplace, everyone is free from violence, is obviously going to benefit. Um, I think as well um, from a kind of collegiate, everyone in the workplace benefits, um, you, I mean, everyone knows how disruptive it can be when um, someone leaves and then there's a new recruitment practice or you know, someone's um, experiencing a situation that they feel like they have no support for. And that can happen to anyone. That's the thing. Like this, you know, family violence doesn't discriminate. It happens across all of our societies and it's mm. happening to people in every single workplace in this country. Um, and being able to work in a workplace where you know you've got this leave available and, you, uh, and your employer has support mechanisms in place to deal with that situation for for workers of course that's going to benefit everyone mm. of course that absolutely is you know and yeah mm. <laughs> right finally what is the change the rules campaign and how does it aim to address gender inequality um so the change the rules campaign um is a campaign which um, is about acknowledging that our workplace laws in this country are broken for working people. You know, um, inequality in this country is at a 70-year high. It hasn't been this bad since World War II. Um, 
you know, I, I go around the country in my role and, and I speak to lots of people and I hear lots of stories. And I've got to say the most devastating one was when I was in Tassie and I was talking to a comrade of mine and she was telling me about a couple of her members who are both health sector workers. They're both on the minimum wage and they've got a couple of kids. And they live in a satellite town outside of Hobart. And Hobart's, a, a, you know, a relatively regional kind of um, and and certainly this this town called Oatlands is a regional area and you would expect the cost of living to be a little bit lower than say mm. in a major city but these two workers they both work full time and they're both on the minimum wage they've got a couple of kids they can't afford rent you know they're living in a caravan park mm. um, and I think that's a really distressing but very clear example of where this country is at for working people. Yeah. And as we were talking about with gender inequality, these things are structural. These are choices that the government are making. And the laws, um, the, work, the workplace laws are broken. If you've got the situation where we people aren't, haven't had a pay rise in years, mm. you know, the award wage is not a living wage anymore. Um, you know the system's broken. Mm. And then you think about all the clampdown on welfare um, safety nets exactly. that's going as well. That's exactly right. Like the safety net is not even a living safety net anymore. Mm. Like there hasn't been increases to the pension and new start for, God, <laughs> you know, too long. Um, and, yeah. we, and we know that people, um, you know, there are people who are working full time who are living in poverty. And, and how can that be the case? Um, you know, uh, so it, it, the Change the Rules campaign is, is, about, is about calling it out how it is. Mm. Like the rules for working people are broken and we need to campaign to fix that. Um, that's collectively getting together and saying we're not going to put up with it anymore. Um, but it's also talking about the solutions and that's really important as well. And gender equality is at the core mm. of the Change the Rules campaign. Um, and that's because of the reasons that we were talking about before. You know, it's we, when when we restore penalty rates, it's women who are going to win the most mm. from that because more women rely on penalty rates than men. You know, um, yeah, when we win when win rights around secure work, it's women. Mm. You know, that are in the most vulnerable forms um, of, of work. So um, that's why gender equality is at the core of our campaign. Um, and it's also, you know, about being able to talk to those solutions, about the need for 10 days paid family and domestic violence leave, about the rights for secure work, um, you know, about the right to be able to manage your responsibilities for your family, for parenting or caring, um, and also work. You know, it's about, um, you know, having some modern workplace laws that aren't kind of like stuck in this draconian past. Mm. Um that's the essence of the campaign, which is, you know, the rules are broken and they need to be fixed and it's working people who are going to campaign to fix them. That was Kari Keys discussing the causes of gender inequality in Australian workplaces. In Australia, women make up 97% of early childhood educators and are paid as low as $21 an hour just a little above the Australian national minimum wage. Their qualifications range from certificates to bachelors and educators are also required to meet national standards. The New South Wales Department claims that the first five years of a child's life is crucial for brain development and that children who receive early education are better positioned to engage in learning. I sat down with Akul, who is an early childhood educator, to better understand the challenges and needs of our educators. 
So a regular day for me pretty much is, you know, you walk into the center and it's pretty much, you know, you start a job as soon as you walk through the door, kids that come up to you, you find parents dropping their children, you say hello to them and if if they're struggling, like to settle up their kids, so you pretty much step in and help them you know, take away the child, give them cuddles and (laughs) and just reassure them that, yeah, your mom will be back. You'll have fun here. We're here for you. And yeah, we just make them feel happy and secure. Uh, So some of the challenges that I face is pretty much um, sometimes the lack of resources in the center. It hinders us from providing... uh, meaningful activities sometimes and we at times we have to go look for our own resources out of the center whether that's from Kmart or Savers or just using natural resources and other ones sometimes would be towards the end of the day like the ratio we struggle with that so some of the staff when they leave you know and there's more children than staff, it creates a problem of supervision. And yeah, we're often running around and finding which room has more staff so they can help out in different rooms. So another challenge could is also the stress of on the work. Sometimes it could get very stressful because it's very emotionally charged work because we give so much and sometimes it provides a toll on our own health. Some of the staff sometimes get um, burned out and you need sometimes some days and it's hard to get at times with, especially where I work. Yeah, sometimes taking sick leaves is very, you know, they're very strict at that at the moment. What would make it less stressful probably would be in terms of ratio either if they can provide more teachers within each room or reduce the number of children in the classroom would make it less stressful because sometimes, you know, the space for more than 20 children is not enough. You know, it, it gets sometimes very noisy. That's why we do a lot of indoor, outdoor, like to just, you know, balance, you know, the number of children and the level of activity that is happening. And also, I think if if we can have just more resources, more funding, it would make it a lot better if they can put more effort into like the learning environment, especially the outside environment. Like sometimes we only have like a few, like some. At the moment, in my center, we only have one A-frame. And to me, that's not enough <laughs> for more than 100 children in the yard. Yeah, I think they need to put more effort into creating just an innovative and engaging environment. Because a lot of these children, you know, they're young and their mind needs constant stimulation. And they're just learning. They need something new a lot. Something challenging, not you know, looking at one A-frame every day. (laughs) For me, what's most rewarding is definitely the love that is shared in the centres between the children and educators 
and parents as well we do you know grow on each other like you know for me at the when i started at the role I, it was weird for me i thought oh, i have so much love for these children even their parents and i'm thinking is that weird but it's not at all yeah but they've taught me so much love like i give them a lot of cuddles a lot of affection and when most of the time they make my day you know when you come in inside and they tell you they miss you or like if you have been on annual leave for like a few days they wonder where did you go <laughs> yeah it's you know it's very rewarding watching them learn as well for me i love watching children learn and learning about their personalities and what type of sense of humor they have i do share a lot of sense of humor with them and it's just very rewarding to watch them you know just seeing them happy is very rewarding for me <laughs> Equal pay would actually mean so much for me because at the moment I actually struggle with my with the wage I have because I live in a household that is low income and it's basically there's just only two income in the house me and my sister we are both on low income and with the expenses of things in Melbourne it's just so hard to you know live on a wage that it's quite low and make ends meet like you have to think about every dollar you spend like bills and rent and all that comes first you know to me i feel like yes it's important but it shouldn't have to take so much of your life because <laughs> you're here to enjoy life and just save up money and secure yourself a future whether that even it's buying a house or like traveling yeah yeah it's pretty yeah it's quite hard and also i think a lot of educators leave the industry because of low pay like i spoke to um to a union worker about 3 weeks ago and she said that a lot of we lose a lot of quality educators because of you know bad pay you know most of them are very they have so much love for this job and they really really care and to keep an educator in a center that really really cares makes a lot of difference. That was a call a Melbourne-based early childhood educator. Earlier we spoke to Kara Keys, the Australian Council of Trade Unions campaign director. Accent of Woman is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. I'm Ayan Sharwat.